Hi. Hello. Hi, Carrie. Hi, Janet. How are you doing? Oh, that is a good question. <laughs> I have just had a lot of exposure to the destructive nature of alcoholism this week. Oh. And it feels very sad and intense and... I don't even like to watch scary movies anymore. Like, I don't like to watch, I don't like roller coasters or mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. shocking things. But often I have a front row view at someone whose life is unmanageable. Mm. And it's sad and scary and, like, nostalgic and lurid and... You know, I think it's like, it's not my life, but it makes me remember how my life was when it was like that. Yeah. Where, like, everything was on fire. Everything is terrible. So I've had a lot of that this week. So it feels just kind of sad and yucky, and but also, like, I'm s grateful. And I just have a lot of respect for alcoholism. mm it is a subtle foe. It is a subtle, powerful, confusing, cunning, baffling, cunning, baffling. all of that. Just Yeah. And the people who have it don't know that that's what's killing them. That's really the glitch. Like, that's the part where it's hard to not be take it personally or be mad at the person or get agitated or whatever. Like, the continual reminder of... That they don't know. They're, they're, they can't see the truth. They are incapable of seeing the truth. And an alcoholic in its cups is an unlovely creature. Well, and that's like to be a sober person watching alcoholism just like enfold and destroy someone's not only their sobriety, but like their family and their friends and their relationships is. But I'm not, you know, I'm not in that delusion. It's almost worse to witness it than it is to have it happen to you. It is. It's like watching someone. It's like watching a breakup or someone go through something really emotionally hard. It's like God. I'd rather just go through this myself than watch someone else go through it. I mean, that's not exactly true, but I hear right. what you're saying. I hear but what my you're saying. my grandma was. This is a weird fact, but my grandma was at the Hindenburg. The Hindenburg. My grandma was on the ground watching the Hindenburg fall apart when she was a little kid, and it feel like I bet it's kind of like that. Yeah. Kind of feels like that of just like, oh, God, this is this is a tragedy. Yeah. Well, let's invite our guest into the conversation and see what they have to say about this subject matter. I'm so excited to finally have our dear, dear friend, Miha, on the podcast. Friend, Welcome. Hi. I don't know if friend doesn't really like capture it all, like mentor, advisor, well, Miha is the only, is the reason this podcast exists. He's the smartest person we know, I think. Miha, <laughs> I come to Miha with all of my questions and for lots of mentorship. So welcome, thank you, and hello, Miha. His name is spelled M-I-C-A-H, but it is pronounced Miha. Yeah, that's the only question I've written down, actually, that I was going <laughs> to ask about. Well, hello. <laughs> Oh, Hello. His, his microphone sounds instantly more expensive than ours. Shh. 
I feel like we could end the podcast here because you said such lovely things about me. That's all I need. I'm fulfilled. I mean, I met you by, we were all on Zoom together over the pandemic. And so I had seen your face and heard your voice, but I'd never met you in person. And so when I said to Janet, I very apprehensively spoke my dream out loud to Janet of something I was sure I could never do. I really want to do a podcast, but I don't know how to do it. She said, well, if I were you, I would contact Miha. And I said, well, I don't know Miha. And she said, well, here's his number. (laughs) And it was like, oh my gosh, even little stuff like that, like feels like such a leap of faith. Like, because my first thought tells me like, he's going to say no, or they're going to think I'm weird or, you know, whatever. So thank you. Thank you for being kind. Thank you for being patient. Thank you for helping me with so many endeavors. You're more than welcome. Yeah. I mean, the truth was that like, you were such a light in our zoom meetings and I was excited to talk to you. Gotcha. So in terms of content, I mean I have a you know, I have a couple general questions for you about you, but we can start with the topic of what Janet was talking about earlier. I mean, do you have any experience or input in being a person in recovery and watching someone else that you've been kind of walking shoulder to shoulder with and seeing, well, you know, just the, we talk a lot about the healing and the recovering and the growth and the expansion. And we don't often talk about, you know, as people in recovery, the stuff that Janet's talking about, kind of the trying to maintain some spiritual principles and integrity and compassion while watching someone go through the actual real devastating parts of alcoholism and substance use disorder. Yeah. I mean, when I got to AA, I was kind of tricked into it. I mean, not, <laughs> not really. Like, Shh, I, I don't wanted, tell people that. Bit. <laughs> a little bit. I mean, I wanted to go, but I was, it was sort of a rope-a-dope because I just thought it was a room full of people that were sad talking about <laughs> sad things. And it's not, it turned out that that wasn't necessarily the case. Not not a lie, but not necessarily the case. And yeah. for a long time, I wanted to be very invisible in AA. Like I just wanted to go to meetings and sit in a corner and then when they were over, leave. And I was pretty successful for a long time being invisible. I, I still want that most of the time. <laughs> yeah. And then somewhere along the line, I decided that I wanted to try to help somebody else again sort of tricked into it our sponsorship chair at the time was like hey Miha, this guy's gonna start showing up at your house make sure you open the door and i said (laughs) okay and i really enjoy the sponsorship thing I, i think the the part when i was listening to janet that just kept ringing in my head is like how do you have the confidence that you can be helpful like when you see all that stuff happening it's like you've experienced it like we've all experienced some of it but at the same time i just think that like that person's world is so big to them and so, you know, monstrous. Like, how can your voice break through all of that energy to say, it's going to be okay, right? Like, just everything's going to be all right. And that's always my biggest concern when I've been working with others is that, like, whatever I say is not enough or I'm not going to be helpful. Well, and, and that's true. That's that. not true. enough. Yeah, it's true. It's not, it's never enough. But your worst fear is true. I'm sorry. Right. But right. That no human power could relieve our alcoholism. There is nothing I can say or not say that is going to give them the power to not drink. 
right? So, I mean, there's something about someone with lived experience who's like, my life has been on fire in that exact same way. And I show up and sit with you in the fire that provides comfort and hope. And, you know, like I've been in the same hole and I know how to climb out of it. And honestly, it's like, well, I guess we're just got to wait for God. <laughs> I just, we got to just kind of stay busy. Someone, you know, I've heard someone say that the steps are like the least harmful things you can do while you're waiting for God. Because it's really all about that. Well, and the thing is, Miha, I mean, you, especially with what you do for a living, which we'll get to, it's like, there's no, like the, the main tenant is just do no harm, right? So if I just, the less I do for me, I mean, in my mind, the better, <laughs> you know? And when any human being is going through a crisis or a growth period or a confusing paradoxical time... And even I think children and animals and everyone just wants to not feel alone, you know. So even just saying like, I am here for you, let me know what I can do or tell me, you know, tell me what you need or whatever. It's like, you know, acknowledging, being seen, being validated, relating to each other. It's having compassion. And because oftentimes in the people in the position of the person that Janet's talking about, like their close circle of friends and family are kind of done with them. They're kind of mad. They're, they've been lied to. They're tired of trying to help you when you don't, don't seem to be getting any better or whatever. So, you know, we get to be the light in the tunnel of just like, I still have compassion for you. I know what you're going through. And I've been there too. And I'm not there anymore. That's it. It's like the we're a lighthouse of just by our sheer existence, I think. There's nothing, I mean, I can't imagine, knowing you how I know you, and Janet too, like, I can't imagine either one of you ever saying anything that isn't loving and compassionate and supportive and helpful. <laughs> I sort of have gotten to the realization that, like, most of the what is going on is the person needs to get it out, right? It's been sitting inside for so long that it needs to get out, and that I have the strength because nobody's yelled at me worse than I've yelled at myself, right? So like, yeah, yeah. they can yell all they want to yell. It doesn't bother me. But just being there to let them get it out, I guess, is enough. But I always just think to myself, like, I don't know the book well enough. I don't know the program well enough. I don't know the right thing to say. Like, how do I make sure that, like, this person is better for having spent this hour with me than not having spent that hour with me? And I struggle with that. I struggle with that all the time. That's surprising to me. But if they're alive... <laughs> At the end of the hour. Yeah. Then. <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, I think you're one of the like best listeners and just like the kindest experience sharer. Like your input or your viewpoint or whatever never feels directive. It never feels harsh or bossy or judgmental. It's always just like very measured and fair and really nice. Like I just think of you as such a nice person. Thank you. Well, why don't you give us a, why don't you let the listeners hear some of that? What, what's your story? How did you get to AA? What, what, what's your, what were the defining so, moments that led you to today? Yeah. You know, one of the things that's, it's, I'll keep it short. I have a tendency to keep it long, so I'll keep it short. But the reality is, is that the biggest thing I learned is that there are multiple bottoms, 
that people have as they go through the path, right? Like there isn't a bottom, there isn't a moment where you're like, this is it. There is usually a moment where you think it's it and then other shit happens and you're like, nope, this one's <laughs> yeah, actually yeah. it. And Dang then sometimes it. <laughs> there's a third or fourth one. For me, luckily there was only two. And I, uh, uh, about, I guess, 15 or 16 years ago now was going through it. was a heavy drug user, heavy alcoholic, heavy smoker, heavy, every drug, primarily cocaine, but every other drug that came along with it. Back when cocaine was actually made of cocaine. <laughs> back, mm-hmm. back when it was cool. I, and, and I was doing a lot. I did so much that I, when I told the doctor after I got sober how much I did, he said he would never put it in my chart because I would never be able to get insurance. And so um, <laughs> I realized that that must have meant it was a lot. But I had gone with a friend of mine to California. He owed me a lot of money. He had stolen a lot of money from me and like checks. He was writing checks that were my checks. And it was just, he was stealing small electronics from my house and selling them on eBay. And I was so... How many small electronics do you have? Know. Well, like, well. like cameras and, you know, like things like that. And so like I would the camera would disappear and I'd be like, oh, I must've just lost it. And I'd buy another one and he'd steal that one. And it was just, it was a fun time, but a crazy time. And went to California because he had said he would got a job and that he was going to got a huge signing bonus and he was going to give me all the money. And I said, okay. And we went out to California and it was clear that there was a job, but there was no signing bonus. And found out later that the house he rented was paid for by my, one of my checks. And uh, so I actually paid the security deposit on his, <laughs> on his house and, but empty house, ran out of drugs, went around to bars to drink because there's nothing else to do. Came back and was like, okay, I'm going to fly back to Colorado because we lived in Colorado at the time. I'm like, I'm going to fly back to Colorado. Went to find my credit card. Credit card was missing. Thought I left it at a bar. Went to every bar, couldn't find it. Came back and I was like, I guess I lost it. And he's like, well, I'll buy you a plane ticket. I was like, sure, that's cool. <laughs> and then your I'm you bought your own plane ticket. Yeah. <laughs> he's like your travel agent, pretty much. <laughs> I know. Uh, that I'm at the move. airport and I'm like, I should cancel that credit card. And I pulled it up and there was, you know, a plane ticket on the credit card. And I was like, <laughs> oh. And I just had this realization that I was like, the only reason why this guy got over on me was because I'm fucked up. Like the only reason why he got over on me was because I was, you know, drugged out. And so what does a good drug addict do, but decide to do more drugs to punish himself for being, you know, taken advantage of? So I went on a massive bender for about a week. And at the end of that week, it was March 31st, 2006. I was sitting on the couch and I realized, I was like, you know, I think what's happening here, Miha, is you're trying to kill yourself, but you have not enough strength to buy a gun to do it. Like you're trying to do it with drugs and alcohol. So like, why don't you go to sleep, wake up, and if what you want to do is more drugs and alcohol, then let's actually kill yourself. And if you don't want to do it, then let's stop doing it. And so I said, okay. And I went to sleep and I woke Who's up the next talk- morning. Who was talking? Yeah. Who was yeah. talking? Me, me. <laughs> no. no. Yeah. Me, me and my evil me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe that was like the real me, like kind of like mm-hmm. kept, in a, kept in a closet me. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I never thought about who was actually talking. That's a great question. But I went to sleep, I woke up and I looked at the eight ball and was like, I don't want to do this anymore. And I went and took every drug I had in the house, put it in a box, drove to a girl's house that I was hanging out with, said, here's a present and I never want to see you again. (laughs) Yeah. And then came home and literally locked the door and stayed inside my house for a year. (gasps) And I had a company I was running at the time. So I would go there every once in a while, but mostly didn't. 
And then I was like, okay, I got to figure out how to get sober now. Like there's got to be more than locking myself in the house. So like, what should I do? And then about five or six years earlier, I had a DUI and I was told to go to AA five times. I had to go to five meetings and I went and I hated it. I thought it was kumbaya and like everybody was huggy. The other thing was, I didn't think I had the same problems as the people who shared because the people who shared had like real problems. I just had a drug problem, right? Like there wasn't, a, it wasn't a real problem. They had real problems. And so I was like, I don't want to do sidebar, What kind of company were you running? At the time it was a software company. We were doing marketing software. <laughs> uh, one of our clients was a major newspaper in the United States. And I literally passed out in the middle of a meeting with the editor <laughs> and I, and to this day, the editor keeps asking my friend whether I'm still strung out or not. Whatever happened to me, huh? He was that strung out guy. There's some level of professionalism where you get to kind of be like that. Yeah. Like, I was, I never hit that level. <laughs> no, I've never had that job where I could just pass out and it was funny or whatever. It's just like interesting to me to find out like, and it's also just like the paradox of being so fucked up and having such a high position in a company and just like. Well, and I used to keep cocaine under my keyboard. And so I would like type an email, do a line, type a key email, do a line. And like, and I remember when I went back to one of my employees and made amends, right? Made my fake amends at the time. And I was like, hey, you know, I was pretty drugged out. I'm, I don't know if you knew. And he's like, me, I knew. I'm like, how mm -hmm. did you know? He's like, you smelled like a homeless person. Like you come in here <laughs> and sleep on the couch. And I was like, oh, mm. huh. those are good hints. <laughs> That's the other thing about the person is that they think no one else is noticing. Yeah, <laughs> I, I swear. It's very my obvious sister to everyone. Came, yeah, my sister came out to visit and I was like, I'm going to take her to the greatest, you know, couple nights of her life and bottle service and clubs and blah, 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 blah. And she went home crying to my mom being with Miha strung out. He's going to die. And I was like, she just had the best time of her life. <laughs> but uh, you're welcome. <laughs> yeah. So I, I was like, well, maybe the 12 steps will work. So I pulled up the 12 steps and I chose the ones I wanted to do. Which ones did you want to do? So one, two, and three are pretty easy. You can kind of fake it, right? You're like, yeah, my life's pretty bad. All right. There's got to be something better than me. And sure, I'm going to turn my life over to whatever that thing is, like cool, whatever. Four is pretty tough, right? Yeah. Like that one was not one that I was interested in doing. No. And who, I mean, who, you can't even tell what it is by how it's written anyway. Like what mm -mm. even is that? You could look up online and they had like spreadsheets and like workbooks and stuff to do. And it just looked like work. So I just, I looked up everything on Google. <laughs> so I skipped all the middle. Yeah. One, two, three, 10, 11, 12. Yeah, I did one, two, three. I did seven, nine. And then that was it, right? Oh, ten, I did because I kind of did 10, but I was like, I called my mom and apologized. And I was like, okay, I got nine done. And, <laughs> and then that was it. And then I didn't, I didn't drink or do anything for about, well, I was still drinking like six months later. I was like, you know, I really can't call myself sober if I'm also drinking. So I should probably <laughs> stop drinking too. And so I stopped drinking and that lasted, you know, maybe a year or two. And then somebody was like, hey, do you want to grab a drink? And I'm like, yeah, I could totally handle it. And then weed came along and then, you know, I was smoking tons of weed and I kept doing that for about 13 years. And then in 2018, I was really sick. I was like physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally sick. I was back to the darkest point in my life, darker than I was when I was a drug addict. 
I was back to thinking about suicide and I was like, okay, I'm going to do everything. I'm going to go to every doctor. I'm going to try everything once. And if I can get through it all and I get better, great. And if I don't, then I'm going to kill myself because there's no way I can live like this for the rest of my life. And so I went to every doctor, every therapist, every naturopath. I did everything. And I started to feel a little better, but not a lot better. And then at the time I was working for a venture fund here in Seattle and I was building out an incubator, which where startups came and worked out of it. And then we did like programming and brought in investors and things like that. And I met Janet's old boss and I was trying to convince her to move My in. My current move boss. Mm-hmm. Your current boss. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My old boss. Your old boss, your current boss to get them to move in. And they had an office above a paint store. Mm-hmm. I remember. And I remember sitting in the office. It was like a November, cold, rainy Seattle, November. And for some reason, I just told her this story about like, I'm trying everything. And if I don't figure it out, I'm done. And she's like, have you tried AA? And I was like, no. She's like, well, you said you try everything. And I'm like, okay. She's like, I'll be at your house and pick you up. And I was like, okay. And that's how I got (laughs) reintroduced to it. And Janet was actually chairing my very first meeting. And I was, you know, inspired and and a little scared with her share. And then I hung <laughs> out. And then everything from there was like, the next time I showed, I came out, I was like, well, how does this work? What do I do now? Like, do I work with you? And she's like, no, men work with men, women work with women. We'll find you somebody to work with. And the next week she's like, Jenna and I prayed and we have this guy. And I'm like, yep, the only other old tattooed guy. It <laughs> looks crazy. Be your sponsor. So they introduced me to this guy. I hope guy he doesn't was, listen to this podcast. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I wonder if he does. And then I'm sure he does. And then he said, show up at my house in Linwood. And I'm like, I don't even know where Linwood is, but okay. <laughs> Sounds like a prison might be there. Yeah. He's like, bring a book. And I'm like, can I bring it on Kindle? And he literally looked at me like I was a moron. And was like, go buy a book. I was like, okay, fine. So I bought the book and we sat there and read. And it was just the weirdest thing. And then somewhere along the line, it just started working. And I started to get involved and that. That's my story and I'll stick to it. Well, uh, so knowing that much about your story, it just proves that you don't have to say a magical thing and you don't have to have some magical equation to give people. You just have to invite them and read a book to them and be a person that's had this experience to them. It's like, oh, that's great news. I don't have to have the secret key to existence and every existential question I just have to just be kind or to do the thing that the person before me did when I got here. And like, that's, a, thank God. I mean, that's the great news. It's just being empathetic and showing love and tolerance, right? Like it's literally being human to another human. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's my struggle. That's my biggest struggle. Yeah. And that is, that is not the easiest thing to do. No. What's your career look like now? Can you give us a rundown of your career? I find it so just interesting and fascinating what you do for... So startup founder for a long time, helped start companies, built a few, sold a few, killed a few. So always in the startup space, like the software startup space. So all the, you know, the social network and all those sort of movies, the Silicon Valley, that was my life. Silicon Valley is probably the best documentary on. So, so good. It's a documentary. Yeah. yeah, by far. It was hard to watch sometimes. It really was. Sometimes I would leave that show feeling worse. Yeah, for sure. 
Does that still exist now? I mean, is it still like that in Silicon Valley? Is there still like a house full of 20 people living there together, building a company and all sitting together, their computers, smoking weed, whatever? Yes and no. I mean, pandemic allowed remote work to happen. So now there's people are not in the same house, but they're all 20 year olds working on their computers. And, you know, it's a really weird environment because most startups try to get investment from venture capitalists that have generally never been startup people. So all they're trying to do is to make more money for rich people that gave them money to invest, right? So there's mm. there's, there's a rich person somewhere down the line that's making the most money, but has the furthest path from the startup. And so they're getting advice from people who haven't always built companies before. And so it's it's a really tough thing. It's very emotional, right? Like you're putting your life savings and your life work and your identity on the line. Mm. When I shut down my last company in 2021, a friend of mine was like, Hey, you've been working with startups forever, right? Mentoring and coaching startups for 15 or 16 years. Why don't you get paid doing it? I'm like, well, I did take a class on like how to do it. Like I actually got trained. <laughs> I'm like, maybe. And so he was like, yeah, I'll show you how I do it and you can do it. And I'm like, okay. And I sent out a tweet and I think I wrote a blog post saying that, hey, I'm now a coach. And then a bunch of people came forward and said, hey, would you coach me? And I said, would you pay me? And they said, yes. And I said, I will coach you then. <laughs> I'm going to try that. I'm going to try that same thing. <laughs> It's crazy how well it works. What's the title for that? What do you call yourself? How do you refer to yourself in that capacity? I'm what I consider to be an executive coach. Often it's also known as like a leadership or CEO coach. It's different than a life coach in the sense that most of the conversations we have are about how to run a company, right? How to be the best leader you can be. The reality is, is that companies don't run without people. So it's really just about people and you can't work with people unless you understand yourself. So it ends up being a whole lot of therapeutic conversation, not therapy, but often very therapeutic. A non-clinical therapeutic conversation. Yeah. Very non-clinical. And you enjoy doing this? Yeah, I do. The reality is it's amazing to me. I mean, you you imagine that a 25-year-old that just got $10 million to build a company is some fantastical unicorn that lives this fantastic life. And the truth is, is like, they are so close to an alcoholic lifestyle yeah, 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 right. <laughs> that we just, and I end up using some of the theory from Alcoholics Anonymous in my coaching, right? We do talk about things like resentments and you do go through, you know, character defects and you go through all fear. these things amends, and fear and yeah. And so there's crazy, like working with, I work with a lot of underrepresented founders and women, right? Like being a female founder who's raised a bunch of money and is seeing your male counterparts raise two or three times the amount you do, right? Like only 2% of all venture capital goes to women. Like hmm. the amount is tiny. So like you have this duality battle of like, I raise money, but most of my peers can't or haven't. I'm now have to carry the flag of being the the best female founder I can be, but it's also really hard to be a founder. So how do I do all of that and wrap that into my identity and survive? And so a lot of our conversations are around identity and things like that. Well, can't they just call Elizabeth Holmes and ask her? <laughs> yeah, they could. I mean, that's the thing that that's so disappointing about that situation. I mean, given the fact that you just told us about how much money, you know, goes to women founders. And then to have such a high profile situation like that is, 
it's very disappointing. Yeah, yeah, it's very disappointing. And and she was, I mean, even though she used it for evil, she was extremely intelligent, right? And yeah, and had an idea, but to a certain degree, like she was also warped by the people around her, right? Like it wasn't like she came out of the womb and was like, I'm going to go defraud people for millions, right? Like there's a lot that went around it. So the fact that she's being treated differently than her co-founder and it just, I don't know, it speaks a lot to sort of the way society is today. Sorry to be on a soapbox. No, I appreciate the soapbox. I actually, I'm kind of saving it for the last half of the episode, but I really want to talk about, because I kind I am a little bit in disagreement that nowadays all you have to do is read the book to someone. I don't know that that's as true as it used to be. I think there is now some new ability to like, well, maybe it's not. I mean, the book definitely has worked for us. Someone reading the book to us has worked. It's worked every time that anyone's read it to me. I've had an experience in my life has never been worse on the other side of step work. But I think the book is more and more requiring someone to read it to you, particularly if you are not a cis hetero white man, to read it to you in a way that sifts out the hetero cis white maleness of it and leaves behind the principles and the... Because I will say two things about the book is it's like incredibly biased, sexist, written by a man who smoked himself to death, who regularly had affairs on his wife and, you know, tried to profit from his membership in AA. And also probably the most easily accessible recipe for spiritual transformation that has ever been written, right? Both those things are true. And I think if you hand the book to someone who is you know, like Gen Z millennial person who is not a disenfranchised person, they could say, this is a pile of crap and miss the forest through the trees, right? So I know Miha and I both have opinion about this and we keep saying like, we need to have a conversation about this and we have not yet had the conversation in in person. So I was thinking we would probably have the conversation as the second half of this conversation. But I'm just like, in the middle on Zoom, I'm in the middle square. And I'm just like, <laughs> I'm just gonna tennis match back and forth. I mean, the, the little background there is that I went to FOTS, which is, you know, the Fellowship of the Spirit, which again, coming into A was something that you couldn't pay me to go to. <laughs> you, he sent me a text in the middle of it and he was like, I hate you for making me love AA. <laughs> it was just, it was, a, it was a beautiful few days, right? It, it was, was just like the so thing beautiful. about AA is it. it's like, it's just humans being around humans and being appreciative of being around humans in a mental state where you could actually appreciate other humans, right? Like, yeah. like to me, that's AA in a nutshell. And so I went, I expected to stay invisible. Of course, Janet refuses to allow me to be invisible. And so I spoke and I swore a lot, which was also not so good. And then, <laughs> Carrie did um, too, don't worry. I got kicked yeah. out. <laughs> she did, did you really? Kicked. She did not get kicked uh, out. I got reprimanded publicly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, yeah, from the microphone. Yeah, yeah. 
Oh wow! So mm-hmm. may- maybe you saved me from a public re- from. I paved the way for you. <laughs> yes, I appreciate that. Thank mm-hmm. you so much. That's what I'm here but for. I had spoken and walked out in the back area where there was these benches, and I, I've gotten into photography lately, and I wanted to take a picture of the sunset. And so there was a woman sitting at the table and I sat down on the other side and I left her alone, just sat there very quietly taking photos. And she leaned over and she said, is your name pronounced Mika? And I was like, how the hell do you know how to pronounce my name properly? Like nobody knows how to pronounce a name properly. Like it's, there's a Hebrew, you know, it's the Hebrew pronunciation. Oh. And she's like, oh, she's like, I was in Israel and I actually got sober in Israel. And we struck up a conversation and then turned out she wasn't from Seattle. And I said, oh, if you're sticking around, here's my phone number. You should come by Stay Gold and check it out. And she said, oh, I have a friend. I'll give it to a friend. I'm like, great, whatever. And, you know, as we do, we give our numbers out to, you know, anyone who's near the program and and you don't expect any anything to ever come of it. And then a few days later, she called me and we got to talking and she asked if I'd work with her. And I didn't know because I was taught that men work with men and women work with women. And I had a bunch of conversations with a bunch of people and a lot of people were on both sides of that argument. Some people were like, nope, I would never sponsor a woman ever. Others were like, you should try. And there was just something that in me and about her that made me feel like I should do it. And she is not, you know, cis white male old person, right? She's everything that I'm not. And I've never learned more about the good and the bad of the book as I have in working with her over the course of the past couple months. And my view of AA itself has not changed, right? I believe in the principles and I believe in the process and I believe in the transformation that occurs, but I don't believe in the words of that book any longer as they're written. I think that they're exclusionary and that there are people that open that book and start to read it and don't see themselves and close that book and walk away. And if there wasn't somebody there reading it, they would be lost. And I don't know the answer to that. And I don't know if I'm right. This is just my own feeling, but like, I don't know what the answer is because part of it is the words, right? Like the actual word used every once in a while, you're like, they wrote that word because it means this or like, like just happened. I said, I asked her a question a few days ago and she yelled at me for 30 minutes. And then we read the book and about a paragraph in, it was like, and then you're going to yell at your sponsor or something along those lines. She's like, did I just do that? And I'm like, yeah. And that's, that's the magic of this book is like, that happens. Right. And so I don't know where I stand. I just know that like anything that keeps somebody from doing something that could fundamentally transform their life for the better is wrong. And I I don't know how to fix that. Mm. Well, I felt that way. I mean, the first time I went through the book, I felt like I didn't relate to it. It wasn't about me. All the all the pronouns in it are male. It felt very religious. I this time coming into recovery, I was just like straight had been using drugs. I didn't have a current really referential experience with alcohol. So I mean, this whole thing sounds bizarre now that I'm saying it out loud. But I met a woman in AA who had my same story, basically. And so we're going through the book. And, like, I had to intentionally change pronouns and substances and all kind of stuff in there. And it's just, you know, she had to hammer on me, like, look for the similarities, look for the similarities. And it was like I had to make them up almost, you know, at the time. It's miraculous that it worked. But I will agree with you that it's because of her. It's because of the person that was my Sherpa at that time that I just... 
it worked even when it didn't seem as though it should have or whatever. Are you guys familiar with the term red letter Christians? No. So there are versions of the Bible where everything that Jesus said is in red ink. So you study what Jesus said, not necessarily what people said about him or the context that he was alive in, right? The time and the area of the world. And so it's like you study the tenets, not the context. And I almost wish there was like a red letter big Mm. book. What would a red letter big book look like, right? I lived like... That's context. This is the important part. And I think where every, almost every woman I've ever known, this, like where you can really magnify this tension is when we read Two Wives. Two Wives is the most inflammatory chapter in that book if you're a person who works with women. Mm -hmm. So I think that's where I first started realizing like, A lot of us really just want to skip this chapter. It is like, if you read it as it's written, it is offensive. It is sexist. It's not even very helpful because it does a, alcoholics are men and women that are married to alcoholics all act in a certain way. And they're all (laughs) like, they all do these things and they're not alcoholics. Right. Men are alcoholics and women marry alcoholics. And and we're going to write a chapter to the wives, which if you know your AA history, like Lois wrote that chapter and then Bill rewrote that chapter. So it's just like steeped in a white man's opinion from 1934 of what it's like to be married to an alcoholic. And that chapter is super brutal. But what else is in that chapter is like very, very powerful principles. And, you know, step 12 from the AA Big Book is the first half of it is like we carry this message to alcoholics and and we practice these principles in all of our affairs is the second half. But the book doesn't tell you what the principles are. You have to find them. And a lot of them are in two wives, two employers, the family afterwards, right? It's in the final four chapters is where we really think about like, you know, the first principle for success is that we should never be angry. Well, that sounds like a principle you might want to practice in all of your affairs. And that's pulled from two wives, right? So there's so much rich, valuable, spiritual lesson and message in those chapters, and they are almost unreadable. And if you... You know, if I said, hey, go ahead and read Two Wives and then practice those principles in all of your affairs, it would be impossible. Like people, women of this age, women like your sponsee would be like, this book is trash, right? So that chapter really magnifies the problem, I think. But that problem is in every chapter. I've read the big book probably every day of my life for the last 11 years, right? It is my most read book ever by 10 times, and it is fraught with problems. (laughs) It really is. It is fraught (laughs) with problems. That's just one chapter. But it's also, like, full of beauty and, like... So much. Yeah, and, like, so, like... Is it a baby with a bathwater? That's what I keep thinking about, right? Like, is is it 
So I had a, another friend reach out to me a few weeks ago and said, I think I'm an alcoholic. And I said, okay, let's talk about it. I'm happy to help. Why do you think you're an alcoholic? We had a conversation and I asked the same question. I ask everybody who thinks there's an alcoholic. I'm like, if you're at a bar and you drink a drink halfway done, can you leave? Or do you need to drink that thing before you leave? <laughs> Tell them to go to their local bar, sit on a bar stool and mm-hmm. see if they that's, can, that's whatever. The, yeah. Try to drink and stop abruptly. Yeah, abruptly. Yeah. Yeah. Drink half of it. Yeah. And, you know, and she was, and they said, no, like, I can't. I think I am an alcoholic. And then we sat down and we went to read. And the first thing I said, was like, please, we're going to read words that you may find offensive. Like, let's focus on the concepts and the ideas behind this because they matter. And as we're reading through it, like they're crying because they can relate to the things, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's there's moments that they're just like, I've never, and this is what happened to me was I was like, when I read Bill's story, I was like, how could some asshole from 1939 tell my story? Yeah, exactly. Like, does that mean that this has been happening forever, right? It, not just like new to me, but like forever to millions and millions of people like maybe i'm not the problem maybe i have a problem and my job is to work on that problem like maybe my problems are specific because they're about me but maybe they're not unique and maybe that means other people have solutions that i can listen to and so i believe in that book like i do believe that that book has real beauty and goodness in it it just has like a brick wall around it for some people to get there. And and I don't know how to break that wall. The same is true of the Bible, right? Like so no. much deep spiritual wisdom and like wrapped in so much crap, right? It's like, how do you, I mean, and my, when I read Two Wives, but now the entire book, I like, we have a conversation that is kind of a, maybe a long conversation about the problems of context, right? Like, Bill W. is like a wordsmith, like beautiful writer, knows how to turn a phrase in just a, such an elegant way. And I would contend like page 86 through 88 are the most perfect spiritual writing ever done. And also like comes with all that cultural context of that time in America where you know, being a white New England stockbroker meant you, you know, alcoholism might be the only thing that you suffer from because you have every other privilege, right? So it is kind of hard to, but it has to be a conversation. We have to say like, this is going to take a practice of you of listening and, I, and I'll do my best to pull it to the, your attention, but like to separate the message from the mess you know like there's a lot of cultural context that is just trash right like and i think that's good to do yeah i mean what's interesting to me is like so i reread the book as a jew right like i was Mm, like as a jewish person Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like let me read this book and what it talks about with god and the thing about jews is like we as a religion as like (laughs) as like a, a a birthright ask god why that's what we do. Why God? Why this? Why that? Like that is a stereotype that is 100% true. Like our job is to ask why. And I'm reading this and the book says, you don't question God. God will do everything. Like if you don't know what's happening, wait, God will come and take care of it for you. And my reaction is why? 
why me, God? Why are you thinking about this? Like, why? What, what personal responsibility do I have in all of this? Right. And it's just, unless you are a Christian, you know, cis white male, the book doesn't fit a hundred percent. And I think for some, like for me fitting 95%, 90% was okay. But I think for people where it fits 20%, yeah, we got 30%, a problem. We got a problem. We have a problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I don't know. I know that they're talking about doing a plain English version. I just, I don't know if it's enough, right? I don't know if it. Yeah. I saw some samples. They have some posted online. Uh, There's a committee for AA that is working on a big book in plain and simple language, and it won't be a new edition. It's going to be a supplemental piece of literature. And I saw some of like, you know, like they translated this paragraph from this to this. You can find it if you search for it. And I was like, because I have opinions, right? Like I came into the topic of just kind of like, you can't change my book. You can't change my book. Like this is, you know, if you remove the like fruity language that he uses sometimes, it's just like very poetic and very, if you remove that, like you're, yeah, flowery, you remove the like, the magic. I don't want the magic to be taken out, right? It like, and I don't know what those words, like how to do the words in a better way than what what is written. And I saw a paragraph. I think they gave us samples of like three paragraphs. And when I read it, I was like, oh, that's probably fine. It's probably fine, right? It's like, I think people are putting a lot of conscious effort into like doing it well, I mean, I think the example I can think of, and I might not be exactly right, but it, they translated frothy emotional appeal seldom suffices, which is such a great line, you know, so quotable. And they changed it to people asking you to stop usually doesn't help. Right. And I was like, uh, I mean, that's that's the gist. That's the gist. Yeah. That's the gist. Right. And we also like you know, need to make it readable to people who don't know what frothy means, who don't it's know like a what riddle. appeal. It's like a riddle that you have to figure out. I mean, probably there's probably a lot of people in AA that have no idea what that even means. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know, you know, in Bill's story, there's like, he acquired the impeccable coat of tan one sees <laughs> upon the well-to-do. <laughs> Right. This is when um, Bill is out golfing Golfing. all the time. And people are like, what does that mean? Like, what are they saying? Is it an actual coat? Is it a gold coat? Did he win (laughs) something? Like, is he winning the Masters? Like, what is... Like, who is Walter Hagen? Yeah, (laughs) it's very dated. Yeah, yeah. It's very dated. And so when I saw the passages, I was kind of like, oh, well, that's probably fine. It's probably fine. I don't think anyone's going to be hurt by that. And maybe we have to have an agile thought process about it of like, let's test it and see what happens. Does it work? Do people recover using the simple language big book? Let's see. Well, I think that the intention is important, you know, and I think it's got the right intention behind it. I can't imagine it not, you know, quote unquote, working. It's just, it's like, my grandparents or whatever, for them, it was very magical to sit around the radio and listen to their shows at the radio. Like that was how they did it. And that was how they consumed 
entertainment. And to us, that seems like, well, I don't want to sit around a radio and listen to a TV show or listen to a play or whatever. That's There's so much more available to me now. And that's how I feel about the book and the language and stuff. Like, it's great for the people that it was, you know, for a certain amount of time. And then when, as things evolve and something different comes along, it's still the same, you know, entertainment or it's still the same intention. It's just, it looks different. It's evolved because it has to, because the need for it is there. It's not because people want to take control over it and have it be their personal. I mean, I hope, I guess I don't really know that part, but I think it's good news. I think it's good news. I think it's good news that people are willing to challenge it and to ask for something that's going to be more contemporary. Yeah, 100%. I also think that the good thing it does for me as a sponsor is I now read the book sentence by sentence rather than page by page. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, like I have to, like, yeah. And we sit there with pen in hand and I purposely change pronouns and like wording. Like you were saying earlier, Carrie, that you did, like, I just am very methodical and and I stop and I ask and I'm like, does this, you know, like, what do you think about this part or, you know, and, and, you know, whereas normally I read a chapter a week and try to get to step 10 as quick as I can, right. Force them through four five and six so that they face it and don't lollygag on it. And now it's like, maybe that's also not the right way to do it is to like, you know, to get them into the steps as deep as possible, as, as fast as possible. Maybe it is a methodical process is the right way to do it. Obviously I have no idea, but that's sort of how it's been going for me now. Mm -hmm. The steps are in what now 60 different anonymous programs, right? Like the steps seem to work no matter what book is wrapped around them. So I think they're like it makes me less afraid that we're going to break something by, you know, like taking it word by word, the you know, a plain and simple book. Well, you know, N.A. works and it's a different book and it's written in a much different way. You know, that's written in 1979 or whatever, like it's a much different book and it works and people achieve recovery and live long, happy lives as recovered people. So I don't think we're going to break anything, right? It seems like it works. I, But then I also think as a counterpoint to my own self, I was looking at one of the prefaces. I think it was maybe a combination of all the prefaces actually, but it was talking about the expansion of AA. And I think at the latest count, there's 2 million members of AA and then you think about the world population as 7 billion or whatever. And that the approximation is that the allergy to alcohol affects something like 10% of the people. So that's 800 million alcoholic people and only 2 million in AA, right? So like there is a gap, there's a gap. Yeah, although that two million is a, is a questionable number, as a friend, a friend that we know said to me Saturday night at IHOP, "How do they know it's anonymous?" Mm-hmm. Well, they polled, yeah, and extrapolated, but yeah, yeah. But I think that's right. I, I I do think that I think the twelve steps work. I actually think that it's actually good to go to other programs if you feel like you have other issues that you want to deal with. And I think the language used in other programs because they're newer is actually more inclusive. Mm -hmm. It's very true. 
And I'm very happy to learn about, you know, where other, and a lot of times I'll read stuff from other programs and be like, oh yeah, that does kind of, do I want to, the, the other thing I think that I'm going to call them hardcore AA people, because I don't know if that's the right word, but I'm going to use it is like, there's also the belief that a, it doesn't matter what your problem is. If you go through AA, it'll, it'll get solved. I actually think of that less now. I, I do think that if you have an issue that is drugs or sex addiction or love addiction or overeaters or anything else, getting language that matches your condition matters way more. And you can't just go through AA, although I think AA can be very helpful. Yeah, I would agree with that. But I will say like, you need to get your alcoholism treated and then see what's left, right? Like treat your alcoholism first because it masquerades like a lot of different things. You know, maybe maybe some stuff disappears with the alcoholism and maybe some stuff doesn't. And then you have a better idea of where exactly the problem is instead of like, oh, just my whole life is a problem. You know? Have you ever been to a CA meeting, Miha? No, I, uh, I'm laughing in part because my sponsor, there was a period of time where I was thinking about not going to meetings at all because I was getting annoyed with stay gold because basically I was never getting called on, even though I didn't want to share. And I was like, it's clicky. They all know each other. It's a hipsters meeting. Like it's the cool meeting. I'm not cool enough to be You're the coolest was, person there. Whatever. He literally, was like, he literally went, so go to another meeting. There's 1,500 yeah. of them in Seattle. Off and I was like, go. oh, it sounds like work. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> and then I asked him about CA and he sort of was like, yeah, you can go. It's just a very different group of people like they're it's very different as i would imagine overeaters you know being 300 pounds i probably should go to that one too but uh are probably a different group of people so i've never been i've always been curious about ca and na but have sort of stuck with aa well ca is its own breed of cat they their preamble is so wild to me it's just like the wildest wording it's It's great ca is ca is uh Cocaine and all other mind-altering substances. So it's open to literally anyone who has a drug and alcohol problem. And they use the AA Big Book. So it's basically a different fellowship, but they use the same text. So, I mean, often if it's like someone who really, really strongly identifies as a drug addict and not an alcoholic, and that's an important differentiator for them, I suggest that they go to CA. Oh, that's good to know. Same book, different fellowship. Yeah, for the first six months, I was like, I know I'm not an alcoholic, I'm just a drug addict, but I can't say drug addict because I'm in an AA meeting, so I'm just going to say alcoholic. And then I stopped caring. But like, because I feel like there's, my belief is that there's an alcoholic way of thinking and that it can come out in drug use or a bunch of other things. But like, it's a very trauma-driven way of thinking, right? And I know that we try to, not talk about outside, quote unquote, outside issues, but I feel like oh, all around of it is based here we in do. Trauma. Oh, we talk we about all the issues. That's exactly what we're talking about. Yeah, the, you yeah, can the, certainly talk about like trauma, like using trauma informed language when going through the book, or when you know talking to you know when you get to those instructions about the inventory, which we've done a whole podcast about this already, but. But yeah, it's a different. It's a different consideration now. It's not just like the you know, the black and white of doing that. And there's new considerations about trauma-informed healing and thought patterns and all of that stuff that I think I'm so glad that this conversation is happening and that we are allowing ourselves to 
not be held to that old paradigm of outside. There are no outside issues. There are none. They're all in. All the issues are all are all in. So everything that's happening in my ecosystem belongs. I can, you know what I mean? And I know what you're saying about not wanting to talk about drugs in AA. And that's the way that it used to be. And those are kind of the I mean, that we're trying to kind of break down a little bit so that people can just be authentic and people are not feeling like they're breaking the AA rules by talking about drugs or trauma. I or- have mixed feelings about that, too, though. Like, I have sponsored people who are just 100% pure alcoholics, like, do not have a drug history, and they have felt... Like, I'm not alcoholic enough because I never did drugs or, like, I'm not, I haven't done enough or I'm not bad enough or, like, it shouldn't really matter. It shouldn't really matter. Like, we could just, I don't want to hear your drunk stories or your drug stories in an AA meeting, right? If you identify and, you know, it's a big book-based meeting, it'll be fine just not even talking about what it is that you suffer yeah. from. Right. But yeah, I do I do think that it does kind of matter that you understand what we're talking about when we talk about alcoholism. That it is about alcohol. It's about alcohol? Alcoholism is about alcohol? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I don't know if I agree with that. Yeah, I do think that the word alcoholism has the word alcohol in it and therefore they're connected. But I think that the way of thinking, you can be an, you can have an alcoholic way of thinking if you're a drug user. Like, like I, I use the word alcoholic way of thinking as like a panacea that covers all sort of negative thinking. I think that I have, <laughs> I have two therapists and, and in those conversations, I learn a lot that I end up relating back to my drug and alcohol abuse. I'm pretty certain like to this day, like if you were to put a gun to my head, I would tell you that I'm not addicted to alcohol, that I'm addicted to drugs. But I also tell you that the reason why I did drugs was so I could drink more. And so the likelihood is, is that I was an alcoholic right. or am an alcoholic. I mean, and you can do the test as a thought experiment, right? What happens when you drink half a drink? What happens? Right? Well, do I you... can't lead anyone's drink undrunk. Like, right. I clear the so table, that's, that's like, the test. That's yeah. the test. Yeah, like, so fair enough. Drugs are available. Yeah, but for years, I was like, I'm just a drug addict that drank, right? And like, I remember talking to a friend of mine, also went through rehab and drugs and whatnot, and he drinks moderately and seems to have it all under control, which fine. But I remember talking to him and I was like, yeah, so, you know, I quit doing drugs. And like six months later, I stopped doing alcohol because how could I call myself sober if I was still drinking? And he's like, you could always just say that you stopped doing drugs. And I was like, damn it. I kept drinking. <laughs> damn, I didn't know that was. Yeah. Fuck. But no, I, I definitely now believe I am an alcoholic. I did not believe that for the first year or so in I mean, I think ultimately that's where everyone would get is like, I think it's complicated now because especially for young people, drugs are easier to get than alcohol is. So I'm going to have a a history that's more about drug use. And it used to be that like old crabby men in AA would say shit to you that made you feel like if you didn't understand drinking, you were not welcome. And that I don't want to give that impression at all. But I think, you know, if the test is like important to do right and to think about and to do it as a thought experiment and to like look back over your history and say like 
does this happen to you? Does this relate to you? Do you relate to this? And, you know, I think maybe it's a maybe it's an old fashioned belief that I have, but I do think it matters. Like does because there's other programs that might be able to help you better if you don't relate it to specifically to alcohol. And, you know, my history is predominantly drugs because drugs help me manage my alcoholism, right? It's easier to do drugs. You can go to work on drugs. You can't go to work blacked out, right? So I think it's like you got to do some sifting with people to like get to the truth. But I do think that at least in AA, it matters. Yeah, I guess that's true. I mean, I never... I never blacked out because when I felt I was going down that path, I just leaned back into the drugs, right? I just picked a different path. Yeah. But I do think it's all the same route. I guess that's where I'm coming the from. Ism is, is the, the ism is the ism is the ism is the ism. Spiritual malady manifests in all these different ways, right? Like, I think that's one of the reasons I love Fellowship of the Spirit so much is because Al-Anon is just like, folded into the conference in such a cool way that you hear so much Al-Anon message and they suffer exactly as we do. They just don't ever drink. I never realized that. I always thought Al-Anon was kind of BS, right? Like, cause it wasn't like real AA, you know, <laughs> yeah, whatever. It's like, <laughs> I get it. It's people that like are around alcoholics and they're being, you know, traumatized by it. I get it. But at Fellowship of the Spirit, that that definitely changed some great speakers and some great people change that thinking for sure. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think I do believe that, that you also don't have to have a substance to have a spiritual malady. No, that, that spiritual malady doesn't require alcohol to exist. But it only mentions alcohol in one step. So, I mean, I think it's a multifaceted consideration because there is the physical component of putting alcohol in my body but then there's also the resentment and the beliefs and the bullshit and the conditioning and everything you know and all the other stuff that I'm you know treating after I remove the substance so it's like such a multifaceted consideration that it's hard to you know and it's a spiritual program it's a spiritual program it's a spiritual program so it's not physically treating my, you know what I mean? So it's like such a complicated conversation to have, even with people who know a lot about it, know a lot about the book, have been in AA a long time, have their own personal experience with whatever it is, with behavioral health or mental health or substances and alcohol or abusive, you know, trauma recovery. But I think the long and the short of it is a spiritual consideration. I think it's a spiritual solution to a spiritual malady. And however it manifests or presents itself in any particular scenario, it can be healed if the seeker is seeking healing. It will happen wherever they go to find it, essentially. Yeah. I also think it doesn't happen. I, I think there's also we should be clear about the fact that it doesn't happen right away. Like, I think for me, like I felt the spiritual malady lift, if you will, or had a spiritual experience two and a half years into this round of sobriety. Right. And it was literally, and I don't say this facetiously, but it was literally sitting on a zoom meeting, a stable zoom meeting. Right. And people were sharing. And I just had this like 
enormous feeling that the other shoe would never drop. Mm-hmm. Like I was like, like that was the moment I realized that like I had actually not figured this out, but accepted it fully. Like mm-hmm. it finally accepted a fully and everything that it had to be was that like this huge feeling that like, I was going to be okay. Like regardless of what would happen, I would be okay. And there's lots of horrible things that I have to deal with in my life still to clean up from old messes, but I'm okay. Like I'm totally okay with it. And then like my anger went away, right? I just stopped being angry. Like I just was calmer. Like life just was very much different once I had that realization. And and what I love about sponsorship is like you watch these people go through a journey, right? From being who they were, right? This horrible, sick human being into being this like who they can be, which is like this beautiful, thoughtful, you know, member of society. And like watching that journey, like to me, like I just hope that like I'm helpful along that journey. Like I'm not slowing it down in any way, but that is the greatest gift that I've ever been given by anybody, right? Is seeing that happen. Well, I think what you're saying is you can be substance free for a period of time without experiencing the full surrender. But what I think is happening is it's an incremental thing that's happening that you may not notice until you've been through most of it and like, oh, I've, I don't feel the weight of the, all the stuff that I was, you know, holding on to or whatever. And like, oh, now I'm having a spiritual experience now two and a half years in, but I feel like, I feel like every moment is a spiritual experience. We're a spirit inhabiting an avatar, like the, the whole thing is a spiritual experience. But I think incrementally, this the surrender can happen all at once where we, you know, throw our hands up and surrender and have a white light experience and we're changed in that moment forever. Or it happens incrementally as we're going through the stuff that we go through. And then we have an awareness of, wow, I really noticed that I'm feeling different today which I think is like maybe an expression or an overwhelming emotional sensation of the full surrender or a large portion of surrender happening at that time of, like you said, acceptance and surrender. And like, wow, I noticed that I actually feel different. My perception is different. My thought life is different. Something yeah, happened. Like, I'm actually different. Something like, happened. I am a different person, right? Well, and- right. But what, what am I? What is I? Fair. Whole other side of philosophical discussion <laughs> yeah. there about what yeah. is the human. Yeah. But, but I, you know, but I think about like the story of Abby going to meet with Bill for the first time, and it talks about how Bill couldn't even recognize him because he looked different. And I was like, yeah, that's bullshit, whatever. And then there was a story like one of the doctors talked about a man who came in and was like, I didn't even recognize him. He looked different. I was like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> the amount of times that people that have known me over the years, both sober and otherwise, that in the last two years have said something about you is different. You look different. Like it's happened too often for it to be an accident. Like yeah. I am a different person and I know that. And and I, I think why I'm so passionate about inclusivity of the book is that if somebody is blocked from what has happened to me, that's a travesty. Like that's not just bad. Yeah, no, it's that's like terrible. A travesty. Yeah. 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 And so figuring out how to like contribute to removing that inability for growth is something that I feel very strongly about. Ditto. Ditto. It's like some ancient sea scroll, though. Like, if you're going to read ancient words to someone that are magical and golden and, you know, restorative and have been proven, you're going to say the ancient sea scroll words. 
and infuse them with your own language and experience and discussion. And I don't know. I don't have a strong feeling about it one way or the other. I'm just going to pop some popcorn and see see what the people do. They're going to do it or not do it. People are going to get sober or not get sober. I mean, what are you going to do, you know? <laughs> Drink a cup of coffee. Take the dog for a walk. Just see how it all unfolds. Yeah. I mean, that's the exciting thing, right? Is like Is like watching all this happen. Yeah, I'm just an elderberry. I'm an elderberry. I'm just ha- I'm just hanging on. A, I'm, a, I'm a senior citizen. I don't know what's going on. Maybe a blueberry. An elder, yeah. you're, you're not that old. <laughs> Compared to who? <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. And, and I just always think back to the fact that like, if I wasn't sitting in that room with Daniela and she suggested that I go to A, like screw just the fact that the three of us wouldn't be sitting here. Like I probably wouldn't be sitting here period. And certainly not in the life that I live today. And I'm not one for mumbo jumbo. I'm not a very religious person. I'm not somebody who doesn't believe in things that I can't see, feel, or touch, but there is something about this process that is magical. And I love watching people experience it. That's so true. I think that's so helpful for people to hear that perspective. I think that's really awesome. So helpful to say that stuff out loud because there's someone else who for sure feels the same. Oh, there's Tito. Puppy. Have you met Tito? This is the baby dog. Have you, oh, you haven't met Tito in person yet, Miha. No, I need to come down. I need. I have chairs for you guys too, so I should <gasps> bring down the chair. We need chairs. Oh my gosh. Yeah. This is Daniel's dog. We're fostering Daniel's oh. dog. Oh, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Hi, Daniel's dog. <laughs> he kind of looks like Daniel, doesn't he? <laughs> He's quiet like Daniel. Tito. He looks like Janet. <laughs> it's Janet's twin flame. Do both puppies get along? They love yeah. each other. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. That's the best. Mm-hmm. They are a constant source of hilarity. We often sit around at, at night and just watch them like we're watching a movie and just laugh and laugh and watch the dogs. I mean, it's, it's <laughs> I want to say it's free entertainment. It ain't free. <laughs> our lives are very simple, though. <laughs> Sometimes there's dog poop inside our house. Sometimes there's dog do poop on a curtain. That? What do you know about that? I have a friend who just got a puppy for his son. He's going through some pretty horrible things and he got a puppy for his son. And he's just been like texting me, like, I forgot the bond between a a young child and a dog and like what a dog can do. And like just the excitement and energy that he has around the fact that his son is like experiencing love in a time where like love is hard to find is Mm. is really cool. Dogs Um, are the best. As you guys know, like I'm super, super into dogs. And Mm -hmm. so like, I'm, I'm just, biding my time until I get my next one. I know. What are you going to get? Do you know? I want to get a pit bull because I feel mm-hmm. like pit bulls are misunderstood. Yeah, and so yeah. like, You're kind of a misunderstood pit bull, I feel like. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> but like, I, I told my neighbor who has a husky that I was thinking about a, getting a pit bull and you could tell that he was like, uh, I don't know if I'm with that. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I was like, that doubled down the reason why I want to <laughs> get like, one. Done. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm getting my ring that the diamond that I made out of my dog's ashes. <gasps> oh my I'm gosh. getting it on Monday. Oh my god. So gosh. I'm excited. Yeah, so I'll show it to you guys when I, I get it. I can't wait. I'm pro pit bull. My three grand puppies are all pit bulls. Well you know they used to be called nanny dogs. Yeah they're nanny dogs. I mean if my daughter has a baby and they all are very I mean it's so cute to watch dogs 
act gentle around a baby. It's so sweet. Yeah, I have a 19-year-old cat who <laughs> is the bane of my existence, the love <laughs> of my life. But I need to make sure that the dog will like be nice to her. And so I feel like that's the other thing a pit will do, a, like a baby pit would do is like grow up with the cat and like the cat would be chill. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. I'm excited though. I can't wait to go when you're picking them out and you go interview the puppies. <laughs> I can't wait to try to force you to name your pit bull. Would I want someone to name a dog? Oh, I already know the name, but what, what you could sell me on it. Pitch me, pitch me the idea. Well, tell me your name first. Sydney. Oh, well, that's pretty good. I like names that are like male or female. Like yeah, it could be, yeah. My other dog's name was Taylor. Mm-hmm. And That's Billy, Billy Taylor. So Sydney sort of fits. Mm-hmm. That sounds fantastic. I mean, you don't really know. Yeah, you don't really know until you meet the dog for sure. But that sounds like that sounds great. He's either my dog named Sydney, or I'm going to have to have a child named Sydney. <gasps> There's going to be a Sydney in my life somewhere. Oh my gosh! The child is much further off than, <laughs> than the dog. There's there's a bunch of things that have to happen before a child shows up. Oh, we thought his name was Tito, but his name is actually Anthony <laughs> Peter Chocoloni. And, and people call him Tiny Tony. Tito. Uh, Tiny Tito, Tony Chocoloni is Tito. Oh, that's awesome. I'm going to tell you something, Mihaw. We are weird people. We do a lot of <laughs> weird things. Knows. We say weird things. We make up weird stories that we think are very funny and hilarious and do weird voices. And it's all really wholesome, but a little bit strange. Like the whole, there's a chocolate bar called Tony Chocolonely. And somehow Tito that's became funny. Tony Chocoloni. And then <laughs> there's a whole voice and a whole story and just a whole thing happening around Tito. He came with the name Tito, and then we've expanded it to like, well, of course it's short for Tiny Tony. And then, of course, awesome. Tony Chocoloni. And the chocolate isn't even called Chocoloni. It's called Chocolonely. So it's, it doesn't even make any sense. It's not even funny. It's just... Funny name, though. Chocolonely is pretty funny. Chocolonely. Yeah, it's just too hard to say. I mean... But we love Tito, and I would, can't wait for you to come down and meet him and come do a sound bath and come do some winter stuff, eat some soup, play a game, bring a chair, all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I'd love to do a sound bath. I almost did one in Toronto once. I just got a whole set of sound bowls. Really? Really. Well, that is an incentive. Mm-hmm. Keep a close eye on your mailbox, and we'll send you an invitation. Mm-hmm. Keep a close eye. Yeah, check your mail. Or put some chairs in your car and come on down. Drive over, yeah. You can do that too. Yeah. And bring your camera and take a picture of our dogs. Yeah. Love to. I'd take a picture of you two as well with the dogs. Yeah, yeah. You got to, you got to, the thing that's great about photography that I've learned is that you get to see how somebody else sees you. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not how you see yourself. It's how somebody else sees you. And I think that that, if the right person is taking your photo, your photos become something special. Mm. Oh my gosh, okay. that's so beautiful. Okay, sold, sold. I want to see how Miha sees me. <laughs> With better lots of fear. Yeah, better not be scary. <laughs> oh I love that. I love that someone's more scared of Janet. I love this. <laughs> I'm not scary. Well, thank you so much, Miha, for taking the time to be here with us tonight. We appreciate your time. I know you're busy, and I'm so grateful to have you as a friend and as a 
mentor and the person that I know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just such a you're such a fantastic human being. I'm so grateful for you. I think the same with both of you. You guys have become big parts of my life, and I appreciate you both very much. Aww. Thank you, friend. You're welcome. Okay, we'll see you on Saturday. See you on the other side. Talk to you guys soon. Bye. Bye. Have a good night. Bye. Bye, Janet. See you in the kitchen.